0: Thanks, buddy. That was awesome. Merry Christmas, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Catalyst Christmas Virtual. Welcome to another edition of uh, JR and Nathan in the morning. <laughs> um, so Christmas is on a Sunday. We decided to do this virtual thing this year. Uh, Nathan and I got together with an angelic chorus earlier in this week and recorded a whole Christmas special. And then a good third of it ended up with no sound. So we are actually re-recording uh, at great expense at the last minute. Uh, so um, obviously we are here, just the two of us, for a little bit, but, but here in just a while uh, we will be rejoined by our angelic chorus. And of course we still have all of our special guests coming. And uh, we're really excited to spend Christmas with you. So um, I wanted to talk today about a, a really common metaphor that we hear a lot, especially during this time of year, uh, it is not the metaphor of Christmas presents. That's probably the, the other most common Christmas metaphor, which is that of light. Uh, so obviously at Christmas time, we decorate with lights, we light candles, we read texts like the text that we're going to read today from Isaiah chapter nine, uh, which is about light shining in darkness. And you know, the, the textual here today is pretty classic light, good, dark, bad symbolism. Uh, it's one that's found all through the Bible and, and not just in the Bible, but actually uh, in a lot of different literature. And it makes sense because nighttime can be a really scary place, right? It's uh time when you're more likely to stub your toe. It's the time that thieves and scoundrels plan their uh, dastardly deeds so that they can go unseen. Uh, one of the things we talk about a lot here at Catalyst is the difference between the context of the ancient world and the context of today. And one of the big differences between then and now is that today we have a social category that we call race, right? grouping people together in these categories that are uh, ostensibly uh, connected to skin color, though they're really not. Um, we don't have the time to get into that, but you know we've done other series on that, so you can go back. Um, grouping people together in racial categories is something that began in the 15th century as European colonists sought justification for enslavement and for the profits that slavery generated. Uh, now, 15th century is about uh 2000 years after the text that we're going to read today actually even a little a little more past that um so you got to think about that right uh when isaiah wrote the words that we're going to read today uh, he had he had no concept in his mind of the sort of uses for the text that would become common after uh europeans began utilizing the category of slavery as a weapon as a justification to enslave other human beings And to do that, they turned to passages like the one we're exploring today. They used that old metaphor of light, good, and dark, bad as an excuse to oppress, rob, and enslave. And so today it can be particularly hard for a lot of folks to hear verses like these as the good news God intended them to be. Because especially for people of color, these texts have been used as weapons of injustice instead of as the promise of liberation that God intended them to be. So the question I want to meditate with us on this morning is, you know, what we're supposed to do about that. I mean, how can we gather for Christmas morning with our trees and our lights and read these verses, knowing that they've been co-opted by wicked men for wicked reasons? Well, I want to read that prophecy from Isaiah 9 with you. It's one that you've probably heard in some form or fashion before, even if it was only in Handel's Messiah. Right. But but uh, you'll notice the light and dark imagery. It comes right up at the top. And so this is uh, Isaiah 9, beginning in verse 2. Isaiah says, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a great light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder. You will break the yokes of their slavery and lift the heavy burdens from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian the boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war will all be burned. It will be fuel for the fire. And there you have it, right? The people are suffering. They're walking in the darkness. And then you see a great light. So you can hear that imagery, right? Light, good, dark, bad. So what do we do with it? I mean, if we can recognize that this language has become harmful, then we have a couple of options. Uh, on one hand, we could just get rid of the text, right? It's an option. We have just quit reading it, quit using texts that are harming people. Choose different passages to use to celebrate Christmas, now, I know for a lot of us that doesn't sit right, and it's, it's not just a tradition. It's not just that we uh, have a soft spot in our hearts for these passages. It's that we've received the whole of Scripture as canon, and picking and choosing, even for really good reasons, feels wrong in a real way, so if we don't want to discard the text. I guess on the far other hand, we could just keep using the text without change. We shrug and we say, well, you know, Isaiah didn't write about light and darkness in a racialized context, so any problem that we might have with the text is our problem, not the text's problem. It, that's not necessarily wrong, right? But, but it sure is unloving. It's ignoring that any work of faithful interpretation is one of doing both good interpretation of the original context and our context today. Uh, so what if we do both, right? What if we refuse to discard the text, but we also refuse to refuse to ignore the way it's been weaponized? What if we say, you know, this uh, light, good, dark, bad language is helpful, um, but it's limited because darkness isn't always bad. I mean, after all, who wants to go to bed when it's light outside? Uh, In fact, uh, a number of Native nations on this continent have understood winter months, uh, months of greater darkness, months that we uh, traditionally observe Advent and Christmas, as a time for resting and preparing. And I hope those themes sound familiar, because that's what we've been talking about throughout the season of Advent, right? Darkness isn't a time for evil, necessarily. It's a time of nurturing. It's a time of caring. It's a time of waiting in, in the womb for birth. The time of healing and, and preparing for the next good work. And, and in fact, that's how Isaiah has understood all that has come before, right? The long history of God's people, both good and bad. God was preparing them for something new. God wanted them to be, to be ready for this new thing. And so they were in uh, the darkness that is more like the darkness of a womb. They were waiting for this new reality to be birthed out. Let's keep reading. Isaiah says, for a child is born to us. A son is given to us. I keep wanting to sing this part, right? The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. So, friends, it's Christmas Day. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And that means it's a time for creativity, a time for newness, a time for exploding old categories and embracing the sort of radical scooping up of all humanity that we find in Jesus It's a day we honor all that has come before us by paying special attention to the world in which God has placed us. So we're going to sing some songs, and then I'm going to introduce you to a couple of good friends of mine who have agreed to share Christmas with us this morning to offer some meditations along these lines. What it means to worship God in the fullness of our being, no matter where we are, and what it means to move beyond these categories of light and dark that can be so harmful. Uh, But before we do any of that, it is Christmas, and we had promised lots and lots and lots of carols. So I do want to hand it back over to Nathan uh, so that we can sing together. I hope you'll all join us. I'm really excited to introduce you to our first special guest. Many of you already know her. Her name is Kathy Kong, and she is one of my very dear friends. She is a writer and uh, has been in ministry for a lot of years and is a yoga teacher and all kinds of stuff. Uh, who lives in Chicago, Illinois, and uh, I reached out to her because I think she's in a, a spiritual place that's similar to a lot of us, where she's been following Jesus for a long time and loves uh, her faith, but has had a lot of really deep struggles with the church, including a lot of hurts. And so uh, she's in a, I think it would be fair to say a complicated place right now. Um, she's written about that and talked about that on our our podcast that we co-host. Um, and so I asked her if she would come and just share about what's happening in her life and how her her christmas celebration has changed over the years uh both like just in real practical terms because she's officially an empty nester now Uh, all of her kids have have left the home uh and so you know she's had all the different you know from growing up as a kid to being a uh, you know a single woman to a newlywed to then having young kids older kids you know all of it right so so not only has you know just christmas celebration changed by virtue of life situation but also in terms of what it means to her right how it hits her and that kind of stuff and so uh when when i interviewed her i didn't have any idea what uh she was gonna say uh, i i didn't i didn't ask her to have a script or hit some specific talking points i just i just said hey I, you know i love the way you think about faith and the way you talk about god and would you kind of just share with catalyst and i mean if uh, many of you probably uh, remember if you were here a couple of Advents ago, we actually used her book, Raise Your Voice, as our Advent series. And so uh, I know Catalyst is not a stranger to Kathy and her work, but it's the first time we've gotten to share uh, her face and her voice officially with you. So it's really, really grateful to Kathy for joining us, and I know you'll enjoy this interview with her. Uh, and then after Kathy uh, and I have finished chatting, we'll be handing it back over to Nathan and JR to, and the Angelic Chorus to take it from there. So... Hello, my friend. Welcome.
1: Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.
0: So secretly, I think everyone already knows this, but we're recording this well in advance of Christmas Day, but it's airing on Christmas Day. So uh, I'm I'm kind of curious, what are like some of your earliest Christmas memories?
1: So I always thought of Christmas, at least in my um, family of origin, probably... Next to New Year's Day, the most like Korean experience of a holiday. Really? So, yeah, because Christmas Eve, we would always go to church. And we would go to the midnight service. So we would be up to um, light our candles with everyone at church to sing. Sometimes there would be this little talent show, which felt very, like you know, so-and-so learned how to play the violin and -and (laughs) so-and-so could like play on the keys. And so like, um, but it was very distinctly like Korean immigrant experience. So we would gather, we would sing, everything was in Korean and then we would eat together and then we would go home and it's just really late And sometimes we could sneak in opening presents. Other times we would just go to bed and then open presents in the morning. So that's how I remember Christmas growing up. And then we, you know, I got married, we had kids, um, and Christmas felt started to feel different. We weren't part of the immigrant church and, um, our parents' traditions also shifted as we started getting older. People were you know moving out or marrying and having children. And so uh, Christmas Eve always became a like, whose family are we going to see or host or be with? And then Christmas is also a really unique time in our family because our daughter, our firstborn, was born the day after Christmas and so oh, nice yeah and and. Peter and I were officially engaged on Christmas Eve with our, was it Christmas Eve or Christmas day after Christmas? Ooh, I'll have to figure that out. But, but there was a big engagement thing with our two families. And so the holidays for us have very much paralleled this sense of Advent, right? Of this sense of waiting and anticipating. And then we have these real life experiences that are tied to our family so our daughter's birth and our engagement
0: yeah and now you know you've been an empty nester for a couple of years um what does it look like these days do the kids mostly all come back
1: home or yes yes so thankfully so far um Bethany is really the only one who's moved and like adulting elsewhere. But what has changed is usually what we used to do is after Thanksgiving. I know you're gonna cringe, JR. That's after fine. Thanksgiving, the day after we would put up our fake Christmas tree and decorate the house, like the whole house, the decorations, the lights, everything goes up. Um, but what has happened over the years, um, is that because our daughter doesn't come home until closer to Christmas day, and then as the kids were in college, it was like the timing of who was going back or coming. Um, The last couple of years, we the boys have asked to wait to decorate the tree until Bethany comes home for Christmas, which usually isn't until like the 20th or so. So right now I'm staring at our fake Christmas tree and it has one ornament on it which is one that i had just ordered with like a photo in it and it's nice. it'll yeah that's it's kind but of by weird the time looking.
0: by the time this airs it'll be fully yes. decorated
1: it'll and, be fully decorated and all of the decorations will be up on the ho- in the house
0: and you'll probably i assume you'll have posted it on your instagram or something like that so we can all oh go, of course all go yes. See it. Yeah. yes yeah um so i'm curious you know how has your how has your faith changed as you have navigated these different stages in life and, um, even stages of your faith? I mean, I know I've had the privilege of sort of getting to have a, a pretty close seat to watching you navigate your faith in recent years. And, on um, those who have read your book, um, Raise your voice. Also, have had I think a lot of insight into how your faith has changed, and so particularly with such a relig- religious holiday like Christmas, uh, how is that? How has that impacted your celebration?
1: I mean, some things have changed. Um, some because the kids are older and. There are only so many traditions that I want to make sure they carry on. And so when they were little, we used to, like, I used to have like a cupcake and we would sing happy birthday to Jesus. And I don't make them do that anymore. But occasionally I'll be like, are we going to sing? And they're like, mom. (laughs) Um, and growing up, I don't recall marking and celebrating Advent, That was something that happened later in my life when I became a worship director at a church. And that is a practice that I continue. Um, It's, we have an Advent um, candle thing set up on the kitchen table. And for me, it is the one practice that has become very personal to all of the changes in my faith journey over the years. It's a, a, a practice that wasn't a part of my early Christian years and then became a practice that was more of a, again, like gathering the family and we'll light the candle together. And now it really is kind of in the quiet of trying to get my work done or the quiet before I go to bed. I'm usually the last person to go up um, to light my candle and take a moment and think, how do I cling to hope? Where do I see hope in the world and in my own life? Um, and and in recent years, it's the practice that continues to remind me that I am part of a bigger C, capital C church, while we continue to be in a season where we are not um, actively engaged in the local lowercase that this is a practice that's ha- happening and has been happening elsewhere um whether it's happening on Sundays in a church or at home
0: uh so one one last question you mentioned you know searching for hope and clinging to hope and i'm i'm curious you know you're in advent right now again we keep saying by the time this airs it will be christmas day but what are the what are the spaces that you're looking for hope or what are the people or the ideas uh that are giving you hope right now where are you finding that
1: i am finding that um uh, with the people i teach and practice yoga with of all things mainly because i think the last couple of years particularly where we spent so much time virtually and for some of us being able to re-engage and have that privilege of being able to re-engage in person physically um, seeing so many of us come out of a space where we need a lot of healing that is spiritual physical emotional mental um, and finding that in our times, our practice together, whether it's virtual. So I'm still meeting with a group of women of color virtually for yoga and finding that, um, people are vulnerable in their desire and need for healing. And that gives me hope because we're still connected to our humanity. We're still connected to our limitations, but, believe that there's healing that's possible. That gives me a lot of hope. Um, I talk about this a lot in past writing. I haven't written too much in the last few years. Um, I find a lot of hope in my adult children. You know, my kids are all in their twenties and there's a lot to like scratch your head about when you look at young adults, to be honest. But there have been so many moments in the last couple of years and in this last year, particularly, um, where I see the maturity and the genuine kindness and gentleness in the souls of our children that I am so hopeful because Peter and I are not like we're average parents. (laughs) And so, um, You know, like, yay, us. (laughs) But (laughs) there have been a lot of moments where we're like, for the grace of God, right? Like, it just, it goes beyond what we feel like we can shove down the throats of our children. That they are allowed to make mistakes, find their way, and then articulate that. I have to say, there have been so many moments, even in this last month, where we're like, Peter and I look at each other, we're like, wow, that's not how I would behave in that situation now. And then to see and hear our kids um, be so mature in the face of first world problems, but nonetheless realities and how they handle things um, gives me hope. Um, So, yeah, I'm not totally hopeless, I'm gonna cling to that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what a what a beautiful sentiment for Christmas Day. You know, finding hope in the small, slow, messy process of healing.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, I think so often, both at an individual level, at a like at a church level for us here at Catalyst, for a cultural level, we just wish that there was some kind of fast forward button to fast forward the healing and skip to the place where it's not messy and things all fit together right again and everything's good and we just can't right. do that and and again like how how perfect when we're talking about christmas that that's what we're talking about <laughs> jesus came right. you know i mean it's so it feels so trite because we talk about it all the time but he really did come in a manger to a right. poor family right who was oppressed and vulnerable instead of to the top of the world in Caesar's palace where he could, you know, fix everything with his power, you know, it, right. it, when I was, when I was a younger pastor, I wanted to do the big flashy Christmas celebrations, you know, with all the cool themes and, you know, unsu- un- unexpected stuff and blow. And the older I get and the longer I pass with them, the more I'm like, man, maybe we should just like hang out with this simple, profound idea until we get it right. You know? Yeah
1: and Jesus shows up as a baby, right? As an infant, as a thought, right? Mary sings and and so I think that that's part of it is that there's there's not a place in the the story we are told where it is actually all wrapped up and we see everything finished, right? There's visions, there's prophecy um but we're kind of left hanging throughout the story. And so I think that is what Christmas is a good reminder. It is not the end all be all. It's it's one point. And what a messy point it is because, you know, I gave birth in a hospital. It was pretty messy even in a hospital. <laughs> even so.
0: Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you so much for taking some time out. And uh, I really look forward to uh, seeing how y'all are celebrating up there in snowy Chicago. But Merry
1: Christmas. Merry Christmas.
0: So we're not in the building. And Some of us you know, who always worship virtually are more used to this. But I want to do things a little bit differently since we're all that way. I want to take some time to, again, you can um, snap a selfie or find a funny gift to send to someone or something like that uh and we're just going to take about a minute to do that and while we're doing that i thought i would uh pass peace to you nathan by giving you this christmas gift that is up here wrapped in this beautiful llama wrapping paper uh so uh this was a wrapping job by one amanda Foresteros. so last year you might remember that i wrapped the gift but this year she she handled it so while you are passing peace together peace be with all of you out there in virtual world uh nathan peace be with you i'm very grateful for you merry christmas Go ahead and open it while we're uh, passing oh, peace. Oh, okay. Uh... Peace. Peace, angelic chorus. Peace in the back. Peace, PJ. Peace, peace. You don't, don't that wrapping been. paper. You don't have. You're not going to reuse it, it's are nice. you? Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like lining my dresser drawers with it or something. Okay. Well, then, fine. You take your time, bud.
2: Eesh, there we go. Uh huh. Uh huh.
0: It is the Goofy Movie Board Game, which I have on good authority is very fun to play.
2: Yes, sir.
0: Oh, my. You're on a cross country road trip to. Well, you've seen the movie. You probably know the plot, so. <laughs> When we look into each other's
1: eyes.
0: <laughs> so anyway, Merry Christmas. Okay. Peace be with um, you. That's glorious. Yeah, yeah, you're welcome, buddy. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Uh, now it's time for our next special guest. This is another uh, friend of mine that uh, I have met in person once, actually, but I'm, I he was an Internet friend long before that. His name is Jose Humphries. He's a pastor in East Harlem. And he does a lot of church consulting, does a lot of work with multi ethnic churches. He's also a big nerd like us. Another, uh, he, he's another big comic book fan. Uh, took me to task for my Wakanda Forever review. Um, <laughs> as he said, so, yeah, well, you know, there you go. I knew, I see, I knew you'd like him <laughs> for that reason. Uh, and, uh, Jose was actually, uh, he was posting on some of his social medias this year about the stuff that I was talking about earlier with the light, you know, light dark mm-hmm. and what we do with some of that imagery. And so, Uh, because that was the text that I knew we would be talking about here on Christmas morning, talking about Jesus being the light that has come into the world. Um, And and again, how... Um, how complicated that language has become for us in the world we live in. I, I reached out to him and I asked, same thing I asked Kathy, right? Hey, no idea what you're going to say, but I just love talking to you. And I would love for Catalyst to hear from you. And again, he graciously agreed to, uh, to talk with us. So I realized later this is why you should do interviews back to back. But our field correspondent for Jose's interview actually um, – uh, did not have the same video settings. So instead of it going back and forth, they'll be side by side mm. um, So we probably need to fire HR puff and stuff. Mm. Um, this will be his last mm. year uh, doing our it's Christmas We can show grace. Okay. Well, he's he's uh, maybe back to the mail room is what I'm saying. So uh, Anyway, uh, without any further ado, let's head over to our interview with Jose Humphreys. Uh, and this is uh, Yeah, please enjoy Jose welcome. Uh, Merry Christmas. Thanks so much for being with us this morning
2: Hey, it's great to be with you
0: uh now i love i read i reached out to you because i've been thinking about this question a lot and and you posted about it and i just like talking to you you're one of my favorites so figured it'd be fun to introduce you to the congregation in this way they've heard me uh quote you in sermons plenty of times so uh this is a chance for them to actually get to see you um but the the first text in the lectionary for christmas morning is isaiah 9 which is the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light and it employs that very familiar, you know, light like good, dark bad analogy. But you've observed that this language um, is really harmful. So for folks that maybe have not thought about this in that way, particularly connected with scripture, um, can you just talk a little bit about what you mean by that?
2: Sure, sure. And I got to say, I've been thinking about this for a long time. Uh, and my inspiration as of late around this specific topic has been the, the writings and the meditations of Cole Arthur Riley. And she has this uh, Advent meditation, which y'all might want to pick up maybe through becoming a Patreon member, uh, called Holy Dark. Holy Dark. And she plays with these motifs of uh, dark and light and how over time in history, uh, the word darkness has in many ways uh, taken a different turn. And I'm I'm going to uh, quote Dr. King right now, and he he describes it later on. But I also want to go back, of course, theologically and also to the uh, text in Isaiah uh, to pose the question, why do we read Isaiah that way in the first place? Uh, so, yeah, so Dr. King said this. Uh, somebody told a lie one day. They couched it in language. They made everything black, ugly and evil. Look in your dictionary and see the synonyms of the word black. It's always something degrading, low, and sinister. Look at the word white. It's always something pure, high, clean. Well, I want to get the language right tonight. And that was just a portion of something Dr. King had said when he uh, just, yeah, was just looking at the world and all of its... uh, storied racism and how, in many ways, language had become the mm, the, the the largest contributor, if you will, uh, to the divisions, to segregation. It had become this kind of false story. And I have to say that this goes back theologically. In the 1500s, there was a Jesuit priest named Jose de, de Acosta, and Willie James Jennings mentions him in his book, The Christian Imagination. And he talks about how race, before it became a a, a sociological construct, it was a theological construct. Jose de Acosta created this kind of uh, typology of type A barbarian, type B, type C. And of course, he put uh, Africans, enslaved Africans, at the bottom of that typology to be the the least human. And in many ways, uh, it became a way for the world from that point forward, right, to look at skin color in terms of morality and ethics. Does that make sense? So when you go into the ancient Near East, this concept of race doesn't exist. Uh, The ethnicity exists, right? Many tribes, tongues, nations, but the concept of somehow a darker hue of skin being associated with some sort of uh, moral and ethnic label, Right, Be- becomes a new thing. So Jose de Acosta, and then of course this, you know, you, you go forward with the doctrine of discovery or backwards and forwards, and people are are feeling justified. Colonists are feeling justified in removing people of such skin tones and they've been labeled barbaric. And I love what uh Brian Bantam, Dr. Brian Bantam uh describes it as in terms of this this imputation. He says that racism is a is a word become flesh so Mm -hmm. it became rather than just a concept now it becomes an embodied reality it's not just this concept about darkness and light but now we can actually look at human beings and make those same categorizations and also make the same justifications around why um they're treated as less and treated as so why they're less beautiful why they're less intelligent because now we have not only this category but we also have um, this in many ways, this embodied ethic uh, that we can move through in the world, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. And, and so, you know, you, we have these texts that, like you said, when they were written, they were right. not written in a world where these categories even existed for this language to be applied in this way, like good, dark, bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but now we do live in a world that I think in many ways inescapably has been shaped and continues to be shaped by that, um, by that racialized language. So okay. what do you as a pastor and I think me as a pastor I've thought about mm-hmm. this a lot too um what are what do we do and what do our our congregations do with texts that we hold to be sacred that we hold to be authoritative that have been twisted and weaponized. I mean because you know I think obviously one option would be to just discard them. But I don't. Right. I don't think that feels right for at least for either of us, and certainly not for a lot of our folks. Mm-hmm. So, wh- what is the other option for us to do in terms of maybe like reclaiming these texts? Like, how can we? I don't know. How, how can we? How can we? Um, be, just when we teach and preach something like Isaiah chapter nine.
2: Yeah. So I wanted to lay down the theological framework and history for why we see the world the way we see it in the first place, right? Because what. What we've adopted, right, in European Christianity and American Christianity, is a way of another way of seeing the world, unfortunately, through whiteness. So what it what it really requires of us as preachers is uh, a deconstructive, decolonizing lens. So if racism gives me a uh, if racism what racism has done is given me a prism. for for now looking at these texts in maybe some racialized ways. Oh, dark equals bad. And maybe, oh, now I'm seeing people and and I'm I'm associating them now with such categories. Uh, We need to add a prison of our own, an anti-racist lens, and and recognize the ways in which language uh, can get co-opted to uh, create divisions. So sometimes we can't use certain words anymore we don't use certain words we've chosen that right in our in our day and age in our society there's just certain words we don't use anymore and it's not like we can't not use dark i mean that that's just part of you know it's very difficult to replace that word but i know i've become more conscious when i see uh when i describe an experience i'll say oh that's that's a dim situation or mm-hmm. that You know that's that. Oh, that that feels so murky, or that feels so sinister, or and and I'll try to avoid you know using the word dark because in many ways, uh, because of racism, we are unconsciously given a hermeneutic for reading the text, like Isaiah, and reading uh, even Genesis, where it talks about out of the deep, out of the the profundis, right? Uh, And so when we come back to texts like Isaiah, what we could do is come in with, of course. Uh, what the, what I've heard a lot of liberation theologians mention is a a a, a hermeneutic of suspicion. It means that I'm I'm going to interrogate the way that I'm even looking at this and seeing how social constructs in society have um, influenced my view of light and dark. And and yes, light and, light does exist and dark exists and we see it in the beginning. Uh, but all of these other embodied categories where where humans now become a part of that narrative and how some humans are considered superior to other humans because of some bogus kind of uh typology then i realized like oh i see how this is used so maybe a way of me loving well uh even through the text is to to mention these things and and to mention how it it has historic using scripture text this way has historically impacted black and brown communities so we want to be even more mindful as a disciple act a discipleship act right at the table right at, at during advent or during christmas how we use these categories and 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 just really be uh as an act of love expand our uh vocabularies for describing uh those kinds of dichotomies if that makes sense
0: yeah i i was <laughs> i was thinking as i was reading a lot of stuff you had been writing about this thinking about my own, you know, one of the things I really enjoy is when interpreters will uh, challenge a text or invert a text or something like that. And so one of the things I thought about is if if you hang on to this, you know, light is white, dark is black, and you take the liberation theolo- theology uh, track that James Cone did, right, where God is black, and mm-hmm. to become Christians to become black with God, um, mm-hmm. there's, I think, there's a really fun way to invert this tech, fun, fun, maybe for me, maybe mm-hmm. for you, I don't know about fun for everyone, but if if there is a way to say that walking those who walk in light are those who are walking in a racialized world, walking in a world of white supremacy, white supremacist assumptions. Then there's actually a way to call people out of that back into the darkness, right back into the space of nurturing into the sort of the womb where we're yes. being reformed and recreated. So mm-hmm. I wonder if 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 you're willing to to go there with me, uh, <laughs> do you do you have a word of good news for those who are walking in light who are maybe being called back into darkness this Christmas?
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, just uh make sure that the light is right. <laughs> and that the light ain't white, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, and, and if you even, you know, think about like just through a light analysis, like light isn't really white, but it, it in many ways, right, through uh you know, as it gets refracted, you're able to see that light actually has multiple colors and um you know, so let's, if you want to play with that metaphor, yeah, you know, the the true light does, does mean a diversity and difference inclusivity. It does mean a, a different way of, it's not a dichotomy. It's it's actually a blend and even uh, gradations of something, you know, be it color, be it whatever. Uh, so yeah, I think, you know, interrogate uh, what light and what right means. and And it would even have us just even revisit uh, two quick things. Our, our aesthetics, like what, what do we consider true, good and beautiful in the world, right? Uh, that's that's huge when we're thinking about just even the, our definitions of beauty, uh, our definitions of uh, what's uh, culturally top shelf versus something like, oh, that's low. That's yeah, that's that's something darker or or different because we don't understand it. And I, And I think that when we begin to interrogate language like that. Uh, We can, like you said, I think, you know, just play the way I just played with it right now and thinking about like, well, last thing, um, you know, think about the, the, the beautiful nurturing aspects of darkness that you know when you think about root vegetables right just in even in, in ecology and nature that there's 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 a required uh, darkness or i'm looking at like some poinsettias now for the holidays and you know they turn they're starting to turn green but for poinsettias to turn red they actually have to go through this kind of incubation period in the dark for at least about 8 weeks in order for those beautiful red festive leaves to actually sprout so there are many ways of looking at darkness as a uh nurturing beautiful force i uh i I forget her name but uh you know is a sufi uh, woman who in a protest in virginia about three years ago uh made this beautiful statement and she says what if this darkness that we're experiencing is not uh, the darkness of the tomb but it is the darkness of the womb you know it is being it is an ushering forth into a new hope, a new right, and a new reality, and all we can do in the darkness of the womb is receive, right, the goodness of nurture, development, the the, the goodness of God through every stage of development as we grow, as we transform, and as we become more Christ-like. I mean, to me, uh, that is a way that we can continue to reconcile these aspects of what um, darkness and light could mean.
0: Oh my brother thank you so much that is a that is a powerful <laughs> word for this christmas i really appreciate you sharing some time with us uh with our congregation this morning
2: and just want to say again merry christmas hey merry christmas merry christmas to your church family man maybe one of these days we'll all get to connect soon in texas
0: i uh i want to take us into a time of communion now so it's uh it's christmas day we've been celebrating jesus coming into the world and what that means for us and how uh How we can be creative about how we talk about that, how we can talk about Jesus as a light that has come into the world, how we can talk about Jesus as a darkness in which we can be hidden and protected and formed, Uh, how we can talk about God as good news for all of us. And so we come to the communion table as a way to remember that Jesus is always with us, and that's that's the actual good news of the Christmas story. You know, beyond all of the the gifts and the the carols and and, and all of that, is that it means that God is with us. And we're going to spend the next uh, the next few weeks talking about what that means and celebrating that. Um, but of course, every week here at Catalyst, we remember communion together. We come to this table, and so. Uh, as we come today, hopefully you've had some time to gather some stuff with you, uh, and I want to give us a, a couple of moments of, of silence to just reflect on how you've heard God speaking to you today. Maybe how, if you've been with us during Advent, how you felt God speaking to you then, and what that what that means as it sort of culminates in in today. And so uh, I'm going to give us just about a minute of silence. And then we will uh, pray together, and then we'll receive these elements. As you can see, I have pizza and tea, so just like they had at the original Last Supper. Uh, <laughs> but whatever I've, that means, of course, whatever you have, if it's cookies and milk, that's great, right? If Santa maybe left some over for you. But uh, we're going we're gonna, to uh, have a few moments of silence together for you to just prayerfully sit before God and to consider the good news that Jesus is with you, and then we'll all pray together and we'll receive communion. Let's pray together. God, you have gathered us today, even in this weird virtual way where we're not even all meeting at the same time, uh, and yet still you've gathered us uh, through this miracle of technology to celebrate this Christmas story. Uh, that you are with us, that you uh, surround us and envelop us, and that no matter who we are, no matter what our background, we can find our place in you as a part of your big, beautiful, diverse family. And so we approach your communion table today in a a spirit of celebration and joy, one where we are uh, so thankful that you chose to be present with us and that your entire life and your death and your resurrection all feed into that same story, that you refuse to, to enjoy heaven without us, um, that it was so important for you to be with us, that you gave up heaven and came among us and, and, uh, brought us even to this table. And so we receive these elements today, whatever, whatever they are, whatever we've managed to find here, uh, we pray that they would be a spiritual food and that as we receive them, we might too receive uh, an assurance of your presence in our life and that it would shape us and form us as we look ahead. Uh, thank you so much for this season that has brought us to this Christmas celebration. Thank you for the privilege we have of celebrating as a church family. And wherever we are today, however uh, this is uh, a part of our day, we pray that you would be present with us and that our eyes would be open to how your spirit continues to be with us. We offer these prayers now, and we approach your table in the name of your son, Jesus. should have put that a little closer. Uh, The night that Jesus was betrayed he took bread uh, nothing like this pizza and broke it and gave it to his disciples and said uh, This is my body broken for you. Take it and eat it And when the meal was finished, he gave them a cup of wine and he said This is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins take it and drink it And so now we too eat and drink and as we do we remember Jesus's death until he returns Joining us today, thank you to our angelic chorus holding it down behind us and uh Thank you to all of you who are continuing to support Catalyst uh, throughout the year, through your volunteering, through your giving. Uh, I said earlier that I, I hope creativity is a hallmark of this next year at Catalyst, and I, and I want that to be true. Um, for all of our folks who are who are primarily virtual, uh, we're working on some really fun ways to expand your uh, your world at catalyst, what that looks like, uh, for obviously folks in the building, we have a lot of changes with the preschool and, you know, with, with all kinds of stuff coming up like that. So, uh, you know, we're just taking it one day at a time, one step at a time. And that's, that's, you know, that's the Christmas promise at the end of the day is that God is with us, uh, not that God gives us the whole plan. So we're just going to try to be responsive and continue to do the next right thing. And, uh, I hope that you are ex- as excited about that as we are. Thank you for spending Christmas with us. Remember, Christmas is a 12 day feast. That's why we have the song, 12 Days of Christmas, right? This is the first day. So we have uh, 12 days of celebrating to do, right? This is a uh, partridge in a pear tree. There it is. Right? We have like 75 more birds uh, to get through. Uh, so I, well, I, okay. So my understanding of the 12 days of Christmas mm-hmm. is every day that is what you're getting. So you end up with 12 partridges in a pear tree or do you think it's like you just Mm, on that day that's all you get and it's 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 a comprehensive list uh i mean it's it reads like a comprehensive list of just you get that thing each day but it sings like you get each thing you get yeah it's first day partridge in a pear tree you get that 12 times because you're singing it okay so my question is how long do you think these people have been dating because that strikes me as like a third date move
2: I mean, you're not wrong.
0: Yeah. Right, like I'm going to go all out and I got you 115 birds. 115. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's kind of it's kind of not fun until you get to the drummers, so. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the right. Well, anyway, there's only 12, right? You only get 12 drummers, yeah. which can you imagine if you got 144 drummers (laughs) that would be amazing yeah anyway sorry (laughs) tangent there let me send us with a blessing today and then we are gonna we're gonna sing ourselves out so uh this is uh yeah this is a blessing so catalyst as you go uh go into a christmas season that is characterized by god's presence in your life, may, may your eyes be opened through the power of God's Holy Spirit to all of the surprising ways that God is present with you and around you and within you. And may you return next week on New Year's Day, the eighth day of Christmas, celebrating in a spirit of worship. And may that only be the beginning of the amazing things that God wants to do in you and in us here as a church this year. Go in the grace and peace of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We'll see you next week. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Speaking of which. Anyway, this is the end of J.R. and Nathan in the morning. morning.